0: Welcome to the Vanity Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today is Grover Collins. He is an attorney at Collins Legal. He will talk about the news of the weekend, which we will get to in a moment. This episode is sponsored by the Well Coffee House which is a Nashville area coffee house that provides fresh roast coffee, along with house-made pastries, breakfast, and lunch offerings. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are Brentwood, Green Hills, Downtown, and Bellevue. More information can be found at wellcoffeehouse.org, the Well Coffee House where coffee changes lives. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. That's located in the Gulch. Our news presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200 to see what your rights are and if they can help. Well, it was an ugly weekend for Vanderbilt football. There have been some Title IX allegations and went public this weekend. I will go no further than that right now. We will get to that in the podcast with Grover momentarily. Our guest line is presented by Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduate Scott and Missy Tannen. Had no clue how comfortable sheets could be until I got these. They were Fair Trade certified. That means they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vanity and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Joining me now on the podcast is our guest, Grover Collins. He is a partner at Collins Legal. He has some relevant expertise to the subject matter today. Grover, thanks for joining us. Hope you're doing well.
1: well thanks for the invitation. Happy to join you.
0: You were recommended to me by a mutual friend. I was looking for someone who could speak to what is going on at Vanderbilt right now with the allegations. And, of course, this comes against a backdrop of the case in 2013, 14, 15, whatever the timeline on that was from when it happened to the completion of the trials and all that. But anyway, you've got some background on this, and that's why you're on. I want to give you the floor to... Tell folks what your connection to this is.
1: Sure. I think right when we, in 2013, we started our firm in June. and Right previously to that, I'd been at the district attorney's office and worked as an ADA for about five years there. And came to me the first I'd ever heard of this alleged rape trial back in 2013, the big one that got all the news coverage. I was a part of that in, I believe that was July of 2013 and represented one of the football players for a brief period of time and then made the decision to move out of that case and then continued to follow it and, you know, had, had, was privy to all the things and, and evidence and everything that went through that, that case for a while. So that was kind of how I was. Attached to the, the Vanderbilt case from the getting there right when we.
0: Grover, I know we both sort of had the same reaction to what happened this weekend. On one hand, I think we both thought, I can't believe something like this happened again after what happened in 2013 mm-hmm. and the precautions that Vanderbilt took. On the other hand, Boy, that was a media circus. I think there were a lot of issues with how Metro handled the case and uh, really seemed to to take it out on Vanderbilt in, in terms of the public eye uh, and some things that it did through Twitter and such. And so, on the other hand, I think we're both going well. Given the circus that Vanderbilt went through, given the fact that It turned everything over to Metro PD. Both of us kind of like, well, given the way that that went down, you know, we also can see why maybe Vanderbilt didn't handle some of this externally. I just want you to give your thoughts on how that whole thing went down and, uh, you know, maybe some what a lot of people perceived was unfair treatment with how Metro handled the case.
1: Well, I don't know if I can speak to one hundred percent the unfair treatment by Metro, but I can I can tell you that from from my experience and you know, looking back into history a little bit into that 2013 case was when Vanderbilt found out or the from my recollection when the when the people who saw the video of what had happened that caused them to enter into an investigation in two thousand thirteen. As soon as they had any information whatsoever, they immediately reached out to Metro, and then at that point, obviously, when they got a criminal matter, Metro took over, and the detectives took over, and they were very aggressive in in bringing those that had been accused justice. I think that from that standpoint, you know, I personally don't know what steps Vanderbilt took after that after that time, but I do know that. Vanderbilt took it very seriously and Vanderbilt took it, obviously, any type of allegation or anything like that very seriously. I think one thing that may have been an issue was there are times when the university just isn't informed or they don't know what's going on. Now, maybe that's a question on what do they do to to make sure it's easy for victims to reach out or, or let them let people know people in authority know I you know I don't know what they're doing right now but maybe that maybe that's what the issue was so
0: well and let me clarify look it was a horrible crime I I don't think there was a lot of ambiguity in terms of some of those kids uh, probably deserve some punishment. I, I won't get into all that, but just to be sure. clear to the audience and to you, that's not what I'm getting. I think that one of the problems that people had with it is for lack of a better term, the grandstanding. I think the the Metro Twitter account uh, was a lot more active during that time and uh, <laughs> tweeting out. I mean, th- it was things like that 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 I think caused a lot of people in the Vanderbilt community to shake their head and go, "Wait, not, you know, nothing else is handled like this, uh, so and, why us?"
1: Yeah, and I think you know people do strange things when they're put into a media microscope. I would say, and I think that I don't really think there was any protocols in place for the Metro Police Department on how to handle something that was so high profile you know they had had high profile cases certainly before in the past whether it be a husband wife murder that was someone of (laughs) great import within the community but I don't think they'd ever had a situation where it was a university especially not a well-respected university such as Vanderbilt you know so I don't think I mean you at times you've got investigators that are going to fire off and you know bask in the spotlight for a little bit, so maybe they take more time than they normally would or or something like that, but I mean as far as a media frenzy, I think I, I don't remember there being a case that got as much attention, both locally and nationally. I mean, we had what, ESPN, CNN, all the national media networks there within half a day after it happened, so I, th- I think Metro probably just got <laughs> overwhelmed with the amount of attention they were getting and they probably weren't used to their investigation being scrutinized as much as it was.
0: The thing that hit me when all the allegations came out on Twitter this week, and I think we're going to stay away from the names of, of the accusers, um, the accused, those sorts of things just to stay on safe ground here. But When I watched those things come to light and there were blog posts other places and things like that, look, on one hand, truth is truth, right? And I think you always take your stand there, but we don't know what happened. And sometimes you can be dead on right about something, about what happened, and you can't prove it in a court. And then once you're throwing things out there like we're throwing out this weekend, then you can put yourself in jeopardy. Were you surprised that some of the people who came forward with the claims were as vocal and specific as they were, naming names, being graphic about what happened? Uh, just in light of everything that is re- at risk on both sides, because um, this could go horribly wrong one of a number of ways. And to me, I'm like, wow, to to start that trial in the media, either you think you've got a strong hand are uh, you frustrated or, I mean, I, I don't, I, I've just, I watched that. And I'm amazed because that's just not something you see often. Walk me through that with the mind of an attorney.
1: Well, I think it's interesting that there's recently come out a new special on Netflix called trial by media. And I think if you've watched any of that, there's a lot of, of, you know, the best story wins kind of deal. So if you get out in front of the, media and you control the narrative then oftentimes there's been a lot of success for attorneys that were able to wag the dog. And so, you know, it's really, sometimes it's what you can prove, but sometimes it's what you can make the other side believe based on your story and your ability to tell that story. So I think there, you know, there's definitely a danger and sometimes we can things, stories and facts and supposed facts or, whatever it is or proves to be can be manipulated to a point where it just kind of runs away from it. And, you know, when you oftentimes hear a prosecutor say, well, these are the facts and just the facts and just the facts, ma'am, that kind of thing. But at the same time, if that doesn't weave itself into a cohesive story that somebody can grab onto, I mean, people, you have to remember that the people in the box, if you're in a trial are 12 ordinary people, I mean, they've, they're just like you and I. They they have emotions and they get tied to these cases, especially when that's the only thing that's they're surrounded with for however many days or weeks or months they're in a the trial. So I think a lot of times, you know, an attorney will grab onto a, something and then try to get out there in front of that media as soon as they can to to shape that story.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that. I just have happened to watch that documentary
1: mm-hmm.
0: the last couple of weeks. I, I'm about three or four episodes in. I'm but the one of yeah. the, the the rape trial in Boston. I'm about in the middle of that one, but the one in Birmingham and I cannot remember the name of the <laughs> the guy that started Hell South was fascinating. King
1: King Richard. Yes, uh, and how that went through. Scouting, 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 Yes. Yeah, but that's that. That was exactly the one I was thinking about. I mean, that that that's just a story at one, right? And so, if you make it cohesive and make it their reality, I mean, let's be honest. You're no matter how long a trial is going to go on, you're not going to get into every single fact. And and one one thing that always happens with attorneys is, you know, they poured months and months and months over the fact pattern. And there's so many things that they just know internally because they've gone over the facts so much that sometimes they fail to put that out into life because they just assume the the jurors know it does that make sense so sometimes there's this critical fact that an attorney or someone doing the prosecution or defending a, against a claim just knows innately but they fail to put that out there for the jury to hear Turns out to be a critical mistake. And
0: that, that can happen sometimes. Grover, we got a few questions in the mailbag if you've sure. got a moment. Okay. Our mailbag yeah, is sure. sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood, who can take care of your insurance needs. Call him today, 933 five-nine three three-1979. Email him at Josh at hqinsurance.com. dot com. Follow him on Twitter at JD or excuse me at Joshua Minton HQ or Facebook.com forward slash JD Minton HQ. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about it here. Theodore Eight says, "Can you discuss the burden of proof required in a Title IX case to be ruled in favor of the plaintiff, particularly in sexual assault cases?" My understanding is there's not as high, they are not as high in a criminal case, but still that burden of proof is high enough to have a good degree of confidence should a conviction be given, or is that still
1: right?
0: I, I think I botched the question, but I think you know where I'm going.
1: Well, obviously, in in a federal or in a criminal case, obviously, the burden is beyond a reasonable doubt, which is the highest burden that we have. But in any type of civil case, it's just a preponderance of the evidence. So you've got that 51%. So the burden is much lower. Now, is it much lower? Do we really know what the difference between beyond a reasonable doubt and more likely or not? Again, that goes back to how the lawyers are able to frame the the facts and the questions. But, again, it goes back to when you have a lot of times, you know, a lot of times a criminal case, someone won't be convicted, but then they'll be found uh, to be liable or guilty in the in the civil question, or the civil trial, rather.
0: Well, and one question I had with this, okay, is you had a player in this case who was basically assigned an injury to explain his absence from the team, was expelled Mm -hmm. from school, but continued to allegedly get access to facilities and was attendance at Pro Day months after this verdict was handled down. What kind of liability does the school have if that were to be true and he were continued access to facilities and things like that, especially with the accuser being on the football staff? That just seems to me like, uh, just a really poor lapse in judgment by Vanderbilt if that is the way it went down.
1: And forgive me I'm just getting the chain of chain of facts here, but did, did Vanderbilt have access to the report, and he was still able to be on the on campus?
0: Yeah, it was a Title IX case where a verdict had been handled handed down, and allegedly he had been expelled from school, and yet they continued to allow him to use. Is alleged the facilities and, in fact, I'm I'm pretty sure I was at pro day, and I'm pretty sure I remember him being there. And this was months after the verdict was handed down. That was one of the things that the the accuser went public with this weekend,
1: right? And I guess I didn't I didn't see that specific thing, but I, that's surprising to me that they were still allowed to be. It's surprising to me that they would have still allowed them to do those things or still allow that athlete to do be on campus after a report like that had come down and they had actually expelled that person. That, that, that one is surprising. And I think that, you know, as far as liability attaching or anything like that, I mean, there would have had to been an incident that happened after he was allowed to come back. I would think before there was any type of liability or any actions whatsoever. So and Unless this alleged incident happened after the report came out, I don't I don't see there being any kind of liability or anything like that to Vanderbilt. It's definitely not a good look, but I don't yeah. think there'd be any kind of liability or anything.
0: Okay, that that was interesting, and the rest of the questions are very specific uh, to to that particular thing, and and I think. Um, You probably hit on all those things as best you can. But before we wrap up, I just want to get any thoughts that you may have on the stuff that came out this weekend or other things that the audience might want to know about in terms of cases like this and in terms of uh, maybe specifics with what's been put out uh, with regards to, to, to Vanderbilt this
1: time. You know, and we were kind of talking about this earlier, and I think it's a situation that you touched on. I'd be surprised, you know, after what happened with the last case back in 2013, that Vanderbilt didn't put something in place or didn't have more access or more outlets for uh, alleged victims to go ahead and make those claims or or make those uh, allegations known. I think it's you know, I've never been in the situation, so I can't speak to it directly. I think there's probably some hesitation. You know, not to go back to that Netflix series, but that there is that when they left that rape case be in the media, the name of the victim actually came out and it had a profound chilling effect on victims and their... Desire to want to come forward and make accusations because they just didn't want to be you know cast in the media or even in the media at all. Um, I will say that based on the allegations and the timing of the allegations, you know if there's a allegation for rape or aggravated sexual battery, I mean those are b felonies, and a b felony and have a statute of limitations of of eight years. So they'd still be within their ability to bring a case if they wanted to. So, you know, I I don't know if that's something that's been discussed or that's something that Metro will now pick up on or if it's something that'll just go away. But I mean, if it's sexual battery or something smaller like that, then not to minimize it, just means smaller in terms of how it's ranked.
0: I guess the last thing was to wrap up, um, and and maybe this is too speculative, but obviously what was brought this weekend was pretty explosive. Nothing is proven. I'm not taking a stand on it. You're not taking a stand on it. But what do you see as the range of outcomes of where everything could go from here?
1: I mean, it goes back to that. I mean, Really, it's going to depend on are the accusers going to file a report? with the police department? Has too much time gone by and the amount of evidence is gone? Do they remember everything clearly that happened? Is there enough to sustain a case? I mean, there's a lot of those little things that come into play and obviously as time goes on, the amount of evidence likely diminishes. So it's gonna be really interesting to see, you know, if someone from Metro reaches out or if someone in that Vanderbilt community or around that knows those victims says, Hey, you should go make a police report or Hey, you should do this. Or if it's just one of these situations where, you know, no, I just wanted to get out and tell my story. And that's enough for me. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what, if anything comes out of that.
0: Grover, I appreciate your time and your expertise on this, this morning, tell people where they can reach you if they need legal assistance, if you have any social media accounts or anything like that that you would care to promote, the floor is yours to do those things. I
1: appreciate that, Chris. Yeah, we're at Collins Legal. We're downtown here in Nashville, Tennessee. You can always email me at Grover at Collins.Legal. That's G-R-O-V-E-R at Collins.Legal. And then give us a call at 615-736-9596. Again, that's 615-736-9596. And of course, we're on all the all the socials of uh, Instagram, Facebook, and and Twitter. So look us up. Grover, thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you for joining us. This has been very good. He's Grover Collins of Collins Legal. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening, and we'll be back with more episodes later this week.